And here they come. Louth, O'Brien, O'Neill, Conlon, White, Coleman, Bean, Riley, Cunningham, O'Donnell, Lynch, McDonnell, Rose, Smith, Blood, and me and... Breaks inside to Stephen White. The one man that can do it, and he's done it! A goal for Louth. Paulo Hanlon, a vital touch. Now he's Stephen White to his right. This must be it! It is! I don't believe it! Kildare must be out of the Leicester at midfield, wearing number eight, the first all-star ever from Louth, would you welcome Paddy Keenan. Arguably the most popular of tonight's winners, Paddy has led from the front for Louth since his championship introduction in 2003. Here's a chance for Rooney! What a goal by J.P. Rooney! And then it happened. Bean sends in from the sideline and Sean Cunningham finishes it to the net. Louth are in front. And here it is. Now the All-Ireland champions for the third time. What do loud managers do all day? In this podcast, you're going to find out. Because on Wednesday night, I was asked by Loud GA to host a webinar for the coaching and games with Shane Lennon. I chatted with Paul and Wayne about... um, all sorts of things, wide-ranging interview uh, with the lads. Really a good, good forum for learning stuff and learning about them. Um, I suppose we we talk about the impact of COVID nineteen and their jobs and their roles as managers and how they're getting on with the players and keeping in contact with the players and minding the players. And then we we dipped into how they became managers. Then we reflected on the twenty twenty season. Both disappointed enough for the two men. Um, and then we talk about nostalgia and looking back is there anything to learn from it and you could feel that they were creative and they were trying to they were embracing the challenge of Covid and they were looking to ways around it and coaching ideas around it and getting working with the lads again and then we finished up by uh, talking about the GA playing behind closed doors and all that so it's all in there there's questions actually from the people who, who logged in on the night um, you should sign up. I'll be doing. There's another one tomorrow night with John Doyle. Um, I'll have another one in a couple of weeks' time with um, John Heslin from Westmead, Brian Garton, the Dock FC captain, and Paddy Keenan. I think that's the 27th, another Wednesday night. But that's it. There you go. So we'll jump in and, and uh, we. I begin by asking the boys, do they really miss Darma? It was nice to get a um, break from the hectic schedule at the start, but now we're definitely missing it, I'm sure. Everybody is missing their local pitch and dying to get back. But, yeah, you, you, you were thankful for the few days off, but now, look, that, that sort of drifted away pretty quick. And now we'd be delighted to be back in the pitch. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we had a fun, probably a third phase of our season coming up. And really, hurling season, you know, you look at the weather, has been... Really, since the lockdown was introduced, late March, most of April, no rain, which would just be a dream for, for our boys to be playing. Um, after having slogged through the winter, and I mean, the wind and the rain at times in Darver over the winter this year especially was worse than last year. So uh, it, it's it's Murphy's Law, isn't it? Uh, I'm looking forward to the summer of Horland and just, just pull like, but please God, it'll come around again. Absolutely, and I suppose uh, in this GA community, we are, we, we're all creatures of habit. So you're looking out on a Tuesday evening or a Thursday, and then you're looking forward to the game at the weekend. So uh, has, that, has that routine kind of, is that, has that been difficult to manage as, as managers of, of the county setups? 
I'll go with you, Wayne, first. Yeah, it sort of has. Like, uh, I'm sort of half lucky that me, me sort of day-to-day job is still going. I'm still working from home. So it's different not commuting, of course, and you're, you're in the house and you're trying to get your work done from home. But that's definitely in the evenings. It's 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 just crazy because, as I said, you're used to that hectic schedule and you're used to, right, what are we doing on a Tuesday night? We have to get our session ready for a Friday night or tours night if we're playing on Saturday. And then, obviously, these don't come around so personally you're sort of at a loss to know what to do with your time and you feel you should be doing something but the reality was hit home pretty quick that we pretty much couldn't do anything and so as I said you, you just sort of get used to it you know you're the same part you used to it. yeah absolutely and then like I'm also involved in the club here you see so every night of the week really I would have been out of the pitch somewhere be it at home here to a match with my daughters or my daughter's teams or else going to Darver, you know, so that has all been been wiped out and you sort of appreciate your time more. Um, so definitely that's one thing that uh, it, it sank in pretty quickly in terms of the, the rushing in the evenings. Like I have a busy house here, four kids and my, myself and my wife's both working, we're both teachers. So normally we'd be get home from school and then dinner and then right where are we going tonight? Is it the local pitches or a match or if I'm going to Darver and it's a juggling match and I'm sure we and and anybody listening who has kids can can appreciate that. That has all been sort of turned on its head and I'm sure people's routines has been changed slightly in terms of what they do in the evenings. They might have dinner later, you know, just all those wee small things that we would have been used to and, and that sort of busyness has, has left us. So... In some sense, we're sort of used to the routine now, you know, and we're trying to keep as busy as possible, especially in our own way, in our own way households, you know. It, it, has there been much contact? With, have you kept in contact with your players, with your, with the squad, like via WhatsApp, or have you come up with other ways? Like, have you Zoom called the lads? Have you been in constant, um, I suppose, dialogue, Paul? Well, we were sort of at a bit of a break in the season, Dan. You know, we we had actually about six weeks of downtime after the National League. So we were in the middle of that and we had met it up and we had our next phase of S&C given out. And then whenever the lockdown was imposed or the break in, in training, uh, we sent that on to the lads. But uh, to be honest, I spoke to the panel then around them just around Easter time just to catch up and touch base. Other than that, it's just been a few WhatsApps because, you know, I was listening to what other managers were doing and I know the club managers were keeping them busy. And... I sort of took the, the I took the view of this is time to maybe reflect and, and refocus and have their own time back. I, I know like everybody's had their own problem of how to how to work with teams, but I felt that this was the best way. Like they're all good fellas on the Lions senior horn pond. They're responsible. I'd like to think that they're educated now and they know how to look after themselves. And I certainly wasn't going to be adding to any things that they needed to be doing. It's up to them. I would feel to better themselves if they want to keep busy by all means so um i certainly wasn't asking them or demanding uh, anything off them in terms of uh, numbers back or things like that uh, and i hope that's 
sort of indicative of the trust that we're trying to create in the squad that we all try and look out for ourselves. We do the best we can in collective and come back. So um, most of the guys, when I spoke to them, all the guys were in good spirits. They have either working from home. A lot of the students were still continuing with their online work. And I know that's difficult being a teacher myself. There was a lot of disruption to their learning and, and getting things done in their routine. And then some of the younger fellas then got extra work in supermarkets or whatever. So their whole schedule was up up the left as well. And then you had the guys working from home in normal uh, businesses. They maybe had kids at home as well. So I just felt that, right, this is time to maybe let them take some control of what they want to be training. Uh, a bit like a, an athlete, an individual athlete, you know, they can go out when it suits them. So, you know, time will tell if that's the right approach. But uh, as I go into it now, we're now into eight, nine weeks and there's no end in sight. So, you know, I feel that's maybe justified. If we had been asking so much of them, now is the time they would have been getting tired and fed up. And I know talking to guys on county panels and not name them, but close to me, that sort of burnout is coming from, from those players because what are they training for? You know, when when is this when is the next date that there's going to be available to get out on the pitch for a match? It's a long time away. Do you, do you find that as well when I know it would have said in recent circles as well? Uh, ex manager Paddy Clark would have always says that a player would only only has nearly a two week focus to build up to a match and without a game it's very difficult regardless of training I know it's very surreal but without that kind of short term target it's hard for players have you found that as well? Yeah definitely definitely did like at the very start of this like we were preparing to go to Cork to, to play you know a National League game and was we were looking forward to that game, you know, when when it was called off, we were sort of I was naively thinking, oh, it's only going to be a couple of weeks of a of a standoff of a delay, and so we were pretty keen to keep them, um, to keep them going, to keep their training up, to give them programs, to give them individual work, but then you know as the severity of the situation unfolded, you start to realise, well, this is there's no short term fix here. We're not going to be back on pitches anytime soon. So while we kept them going. For a number of weeks and we gave them their gps units and we kept in contact them with them with with uh kieran sloan our fitness coach and we encourage them to do as much as they can individually as paul says but then as you said then with no end game with no actual game this it, it's pretty futile to expect them to keep going so um you know i initially got a little bit excited when the government announced the phased approach and thinking oh maybe there's a there's a there's an end game here there's a return date but then the GAA, you know, and, and probably rightly so, uh, uh, announced their sort of thoughts on the matter. And when the October time frame was announced for the county, you know, we basically did stand our guys down straight away. We had a uh, uh, a bit of contact with them all and, and just told them, listen, there's, as you said, there's, there's no end game here. So basically stood down and we will try and continue to support them as they negotiate you know, their club training, their individual training for their club games, which, again, hopefully will come at the end of July. But, it's you know, there's, there's no point in trying to keep them at the intensity for inter-county level at this moment in time. Like, uh, the way you're speaking there, lads, is very much in tune with your panel. Do you, like, in terms of, like, it's, it's very tough on uh, mental health. Do you find that's a response, like, that's one of your responsibilities as county managers? When I, I, you answer, I suppose, first. Well, definitely, like, we have to look after these young men, regardless of you know what they're doing on the football pitch. You know, it's it's important. And Paul mentioned it, like that. You know, 
the the main the main focus is look is are they okay is their families okay you know what's their work scenario are they you know have they been stood down from work have they been made redundant are they getting a wage and all these things are probably even more important than the football at the end of the day so you're right we would be in tune with them you know what we did say to them when we were sort of standing them down last week was look we're here um, as you do negotiate your training, if you need anything, you know we're always a phone call away, and we're probably pretty good at communicating in our panel. Um, so, yeah, definitely we have to support them. And, and personally, like I'm lucky that I'm working away during the day, so I'm kept busy that way. And some of the lads would be like that, but some of them could be, you know, they might be stood down from work and football, and that's a big hole to fill. But we're certainly there to support them in, in any way, shape, or form we can. You'd feel the same, uh, Paul. Absolutely. Like, you know, I sort of, sort of stressed the fellows that it's only a phone call away or even to Paul Gaffney, who was leading our strength and condition, to, to buzz him. And he was actually doing online Zoom classes with, with some of the lads, you know, that, that suited at the time. And it was, they could drop into those. Like, but I encourage them to sort of think outside the box and look at the, what way they could improve themselves as as people and turn and get busy or to help people, you know, in their area. It's nothing to do. Like so, you know, uh, hopefully um, they're all sensible and wise enough and have good networks of friends within their hoarding clubs and their local communities. And I was encouraged to hear that a lot of them was sort of keeping in touch with each other and maybe doing things in, in small pods. I know that might have been technically legal, but they were trying to keep each other going. And, that, and that's very important. And I see that in my own work because young families don't talk to each other. That's what we are finding in school. They'll communicate over an Xbox. They'll communicate over a PlayStation game, but they're not left the phone to ring. You know, and, and especially people in the countryside, they don't, they're not see any of their mates. Whereas girls are different. And that's what we're finding in school. There's a lot of uh, ang- anguish and anxiety in the houses and we've dealing with nearly a thousand boys in Armagh and that's one thing we are really worried about what's what's coming down the line um now our guys are obviously a wee bit older than that but I'd say you know some things may, may cross over so certainly after this now there's going to be a lot um a lot of importance placed on communication and getting social again and mixing again because that's that's the big thing that we're all missing ourselves as coaches and managers and leaders but also the players like just that face-to-face and that contact and having the crack and shooting the breeze you know so that's that's going to be huge down the line like and unfortunately some players mightn't come back to to ga do you know what i mean that they'll find other ways to, to to fill their time so that's a huge challenge in all counties and especially smaller counties where every every person is so vital to the to the whole organizational structure in the county so that's something to, to, to think about remember it shows the importance of the GA, doesn't it, Paul? Absolutely. That those few hours, you know, twice a week or three times a week in the pitch, that can be so so important to people, and it just shows you uh, the network and the structure that is built up over the years. So that that's something that whenever the gates are opened, you're going to see hopefully busy pitches, and hopefully everybody be sensible so that they can stay open. That's that's my fear that there's a rush, and then all of a sudden there's a uh, a hall call the thing so hopefully when the gates are open they'll stay open and people will connect again and and spend their evenings in the pitches their summer days in the pitches you know that's that's what you should be looking for come here wayne you're you're on the cutting edge of things and in, in terms of the modern day ga manager has there been any innovations that that has been beneficial that you've noticed 
sorry, say that again, Dan. Sorry, is, is there any innovate, innovations that you've noticed that have worked and maybe you might bring forward when, when the band does come down, or not the band, when the, yeah, I suppose when the band does come down that Paul mentioned? Well, I think it's going to be pretty challenging if if um, if if we do get the, the go ahead, but we're only allowed to go in in small groups. Like so, that's going to be very challenging from the coach's point of view and how you structure that. But uh, I'm sure there's ways around that as well. We can we can you know have various activities going on in different areas of the pitches. But uh, um, no, I, I think it's probably too early to say whether we'll get any new innovation out of a situation like this like but in terms of you know what what can we be doing in the meantime before we get pitch training I you know it was encouraging to see an awful lot of kids around the country and you know practicing their skills and you know and give an opportunity to perform challenges and kicking into dusty bins and you know I thought that was really really good and it was great if anything to encourage kids to get out and improve their skills I think that was very important and our, our own initiative here in the county I thought was very, very good for that. So, um, yeah, it, it maybe is a time for players individually to focus on maybe some of their limiting factors and try and improve their skills in different areas um, because there's no excuse now where they don't have the time. Okay, they're not able to go to the pitches, but, you know, their back gardens out in their streets, out in the greens. So, yeah, it's an, I suppose... The, the positive of the situation is, yeah, let's go out and try and, and be better at our technical skills. That's one thing, Paul, that hurlers probably would have had an advantage over footballers in terms of it was it was always it was seen as normal to have a hurl in your hand and bang it against a wall at all times. And maybe now football it might be might be okay to do that now or might be as big as a deal as it was beforehand. But that, that those are way like you that's when you had to practice your skills for hurling. Well, absolutely, and like you, you know, hopefully that the fellas have been watching all the old games and old clips, and you see what games were like back 10, 20, 30 years ago, and maybe that'll rejig some of their own childhood memories. Because I know I've been certainly out and ball again in the backyard and uh, hurling against the wall, you know, bringing you back to right when you done that as a child, and maybe that will maybe reconnect some of the lads, but you know. They're county players now. There's a lot of pressure on them. Like there's time constraints, there's nutrition constraints, fitness constraints, and all those things can maybe um, take away the primary objective of Gaelic games, which is to go out and play and have fun, you know, and and to take you back when you're a child. So maybe th- this is a time to, I say, reconnect with your younger self, so to speak, and reestablish why you actually are playing these games and. You know, if if you can bring any positive out of the, the current situation, maybe that may, that might be it. And also then to reignite some dreams or some hope that you had as a youngster. I'm sure lads growing up in Louth uh, aspired to play for their county team and go to Dublin and play in Crow Park. And I know some of the, the, the horrors that was our dream this year, and it's been cut short, but it's still there. It's it still can be whenever we can go back. And maybe for a 17 year old or 18 year old in the county, this period can actually break that and get. And get themselves back on the road to achieving. So I'd be trying to look for a positive in all this, you know, that we can reconnect with uh, why we play the games at the start, and also just the time of spending night with the ball and hard against the wall. Like that's that's why we done it at the start. Like, do you, do you feel that way as well? We might have a generation of street footballers now um, at the back of us. Yeah, well, that would be a very good thing. In fairness, if if we did end up like that, but. Yeah, that, definitely. Uh, you know, as as we were saying, it's just practicing the skills. Like I suppose, 
at all the different levels of the game, you know, we're obsessed with fitness and condition and organisation, structure to the teams. But at the end of the day, the most important part, even though sometimes we lose sight of it, is the tactical skills of the small ball and the football. So if, if there's anything that creates, you know, more time for us to do that, like, and obviously we have to incorporate that in our training sessions, but certainly I feel at the level that I'm coaching at the minute, you, you're sort of, you all focus on the collective and the organisational element to your team rather than whether you've got an inter-county player and whether you're going to focus on improving his less dominant side or you're going to improve, you know. So it's not to say that we don't focus on the skills, but, the, you know, I say the majority of the focus is on the collective. So if kids or adult footballers now have more time to spend on the skills, and, you know, that would be very, very encouraging if, if the... But then the day it all goes back down to their attitude and their mentality and their will to practice. Um, you know, if the, if that's why I always say to kids, if if they have the will to practice and a will to get outside with a ball, whether it's free practice or structured practice, that's that's going to be a massive bonus for them going forward into their careers. Did you, Wayne, have you used this time nearly to to work on your kind of management game? Like, have you been reading up on on management? drills or have you been reading up on philosophy or educating yourself again have yeah you as well yeah no exactly yeah certainly have I, I i do i do do a lot of reading and i i do try to get onto a lot of the webinars i was on one from carla there a couple of weeks ago and the loud ones also um but yeah my, my bible um is a book called from fergus Connolly called game changer he's a He's a, an Irish sports scientist used to work with the Dubs and he's become renowned all over the world now. So I certainly reference that book an awful lot. Um, and it's, a, it's actually a very, very hard read book. I'm sure some of the guys on would would, would know of it. Um, so it would be a reference book rather than something that you would get specifically to run in a training session. But in terms of culture, philosophy and the collective of a team, it's very, very good. Um, so yeah, as, as well as just, you know, I suppose the new reading now is watching Netflix and watching documentaries and and stuff like that. So I'm sure everybody has heard about the Last Dance. So um, Michael Jordan, Chicago Bulls. So I definitely recommend that one for you, Paul. Yeah, I've got good time. <laughs> have, have, what, have, what have you been? Have you been doing the same, Paul? Have you been reading up or have you been learning drills or? Yeah, much and much and much. It's like uh, listening even to some podcasts and things like that. You right. know, trying to pick up wee nuggets here and there. And again, that's probably just part of your coaching journey. You know, you're always learning. You know, even from this season, learning a huge amount about you know dealing with players and situations and and then trying to reflect back on right. Could have done that a wee bit differently, or could have done that a wee bit better. And you know, being honest about making mistakes. You know, if you don't make mistakes, you're you're not going to improve. And that's something that we, we try to stress to the squad this year. Like, don't be afraid of making mistakes. Like, we're right here. We're, you just try, you, if you do your best, that's fine. And if, we, if it didn't happen, so what? We, we look back on it and say, all right, we try it a different way. And then we go out the game. You know, that's that's something that I'm, I'm trying to take on board all the time. And, and again, the, the loud GA and, and a lot of county boards and even the Nationals um, GA are doing the, the webinars, like, you know, and... I listened to Damien Young's one night, like, and the statistics and the analysis is just it's through the roof now. Like, people's doing doctors on things, like, so the amount of analysis and in-depth thinking and learning on Gaelic games these days, it's it's a level it's never seen before. So, and 
the number of, of people tuning in, I think it's it's in their thousands. So it can only be a good thing, and and we'll certainly see maybe the benefit of that down the line. And I'm sure some somebody will come up with something that will slightly shift the the goalposts in both football and hurling in a way of things. But like what what Jimmy McGinnis did way back in the, in the early in the early teens there, like you know, someone will have a different viewpoint, and and that'll be the next thing. And of course. Um, if it works, then everybody will be doing it. They'll be, caught, they'll be popping on, yeah. So just reflect it, you mentioned it there, reflecting on this year for yourself, Paul, uh, I know it was, you have been relegated to Division 3B, but you were really, really unlucky this season, like in terms of going down to Donegal, and then they ended up winning the competition, and Armagh as well, a very late kind of dramatic loss there. So you, despite... What it says at the table, it does kind of lie a little bit from what a positive season you you did have. Well, well, we, we would like to think that, but unfortunately, the table tells tells the story. We didn't win any games, even though we were punching all the time, uh, and we had teams nearly beaten, but we just didn't get over the line. However, I would like to feel that the group has improved individually and collectively. We're organised, and uh, they're they're training well, and there's a good spirit in the group. Um, and there's new leaders starting to come on board and introduce some young players. So I would like to think there's a lot of positives going forward. Like, and again, you know, we want to always leave the jersey in a better place, and, and I want to certainly leave Louth Horton in a better place. And when that day comes, that that we we you know we part company or whatever. But uh, certainly, while it was disappointing, there was great hope there coming into the championship, and and that's maybe an advantage of the structured tier championship in Horton that. You know, we had realistic uh, ambitions of, of winning our championship. Um, and we spoke after the league about putting that to bed, learning, and then looking down for, for the games in the Laurie Mahar. We had cha- challenge matches arranged with teams above us, and they were glad to get the game. So that was telling me that we were doing something right, that teams were looking to play us, knowing that they'll get a good game, not sometimes looking down at well, there's a, like a junior team. You know, they, they knew that they were going to get a good test. So that told me that other counties were taking notice of the progress that the fellas ha, have been making and the games that we have played this year reinforced that. So there was a lot of hope uh, coming out of the league into the championship. And unfortunately, then season was cut. Like, so I'm not sure if the matches are going to be played this year or not. And there's meant to be a new structure in the championship this year. And on a side point, I think now's the time the GA should nearly look at the leagues and restructure because how is it fair for a Louth hoarder to get five matches in the National League and a Louth footballer to get seven matches. And there's certainly standards are improving in the lower tier counties of Hoarland. So I think they should now look at it and try and rejig the leagues to have more games for the players. Okay, that, that would be my view. So, but I'm not holding my breath on that one. Yeah, like you, you were, you were, you were going very strong. Like you probably would have went into that Laurie Mahara favourites more than likely. Probably, possibly the best so. Minutes, yeah. Well, possibly, probably the highest ranked team in it, uh, going yeah. by league position, and then uh, we'd have to hopefully build on the momentum that we created. Like so, yeah, we we planned some place and we had. We had great uh, hopes, as I said, for for the month of May and June, you know, and and um, and all the fellas knew that and. You know, hopefully some of the older men on the panel who would really, you know, give it a huge commitment over the winter. Hopefully they'll stay on for another year because I certainly wouldn't like to think that this would sort of um, pull the curtain down on the career. Like it would be, it would be a very, I say, hard way to end for for fellas like that. So please God that they, they keep themselves in shape and they come back and try and finish the job that we started this year. Yeah, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be the right way to go at all. Uh... 
suppose you'd, you kind of have to give it a crack and hopefully they do stay on next year. Wayne, you're kind of on similar similar uh, rounds, disappointing spring, I suppose, but you're supposed to be playing Longford at the weekend in the championship. You would have liked to think, and I think actually speaking to you after the Leitrim game, the last leg game this year, you're already looking towards the championship and getting your team right for that game against Longford. Yeah, it would have been last weekend, as you said. Um, yeah, the, the spring, winter, spring was disappointing. There's no getting away from that from us. Um, just a, a lack of any consistency at all and any sort of performances. And, you know, we were really disappointed with the way things worked out. Um, and then on reflection, then you when you have all this time, you, you look back and you're thinking, well, well like not so, offering any excuses in, in any way, but if there's one thing that you would be able to change, it would be, you know, the health of the squad when we joined up last November uh, time frame. And, you know, we, we were... We were on the back foot because we couldn't really get training properly collectively because we had so many, you know, issues with with players and stuff. And whereas we always knew they were going to be available for the start of the national league, we felt that they mightn't have enough work done, and it probably proved to be that. But looking forward, yeah, we we're actually looking forward. As, as strange as it may sound, after a really difficult defeat against Leitrim, we were actually looking forward to going to Cork because we had a good few sessions, um, uh, some good. Uh, chats and meetings and some good few sessions before the Cork game so with absolutely pretty much nothing to lose albeit we weren't down mathematically you know we nobody expected us to go to Park we were looking forward to going to Park Creeve and trying to produce some sort of performance so I would have liked to have got that those games those two big games against Cork and Down and maybe then if, if things had come to a halt well then you could really you know, say, you know, you finish maybe strong with two good performances, but obviously that didn't happen. Um, but, you know, we look, we would have been ready for last Saturday, there's no doubt about it. Um, and I suppose looking forward, the positive thing perhaps is that, you know, we will be able to get a sort of another mini pre-season done before we hopefully play a championship later in the year. And Kabir, is that, is that hard to... Um kind of put to bed as well that there's two games left in the league and that uncertainty as well is that is that hard to, to manage I suppose it is yeah because you, you're sort of left in limbo you don't know what they're they're going to do and I, and to be honest I don't envy all the decisions they have to make um, I thought that you, the president um, of the GA John Horn last weekend spoke very very well and you know there's a lot of difficult decisions to be made but yeah, we're we're probably saying that they probably won't finish the leagues at this juncture because they don't think when they're going to have time to finish the leagues. Um, you know, and that people might say, sure, that's great for loud, but it's very hard to say that when, the, you know, the gravity of the situation is people are dying around the country. So you don't want to be, you know, drinking champagne because the leagues weren't finished. Yeah. It's not the right thing to do, you know. Mm-hmm. But if 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 we could get clarity as soon as possible of when a championship would be run, um, it would be a massive boost for everybody. Yeah. And, like, ha, ha, did you hold a review? Have you chatted with, with your management team of like stuff that did go wrong in the league? <clears throat> in the league? Yeah, we, we pretty much hold re- reviews all the time. We have, we have done on reflection too when we have the time. And um, we just had no consistency on our performances at all. Um, you know, we played... In some of the games we played for 10, 15 minute spells and we couldn't really close any of the games out, particularly the second game, which is the Tipperary game, which was the real 
sickening really because we were in a commanding position during that game. We still let it slip. So um, look, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of issues um, or a lot of variables that were there that we we should we could have and should have done better in. So you know, it's all about just banking them, put them in the in the head, and try and improve and coming forward for the for the next games. Paul, have you sat there and looked at the, the hurling games? <clears throat> we sort of had a brief chat um, immediately after the, ga- the game that Sunday evening, myself and Tony and Kieran were selectors. And then we met on, we gave them the week off, and then the Wednesday, the Wednesday week after that, we sort of sat down and, and had a chat. And again, we, as I said, they're all grown men and educated men, and they knew that they weren't far away. Small wee mistakes cost us, and it was a case of trying to keep the momentum going and our performances, our consistency of performances, but just cutting out those small individual errors. So um, we changed some of this, the training over the winter. We went to uh, the wall ball in, in our RD. They have a new wall, skills wall, which uh, they seem to enjoy, and we got good value out of that. And I have to thank Mickey Rooney in the RD club. He was really good to us. Um, and that helped us, and we were going to factor that into our training as well. So... Yeah, we sort of a quick review and then was looking forward to the next competition. As I say, our season sort of split into three and, you know, pre-season tournament, the league and then our championship, you know. So ours was different than Wayne's and he was still sort of cut short in the middle. And if that had happened to us, then, you know, it, it, uh, we're sort of talking differently now. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so you're... Uh... Your point, your, did Mickey Rooney come to you about RD or are you using are you using a delegation team with your with your uh, selectors? No, I, I we were sort of looking because as Wayne and tell you on a Tuesday and a Friday night in Darver and there's a gale force wind blowing and it's lashing rain and the, the pitches are you've been used during the day and it's sometimes it's just winter winter hurling and it's not conducive to to skills practice good skills practice. So I was looking for a wall for a while and then. Um, I heard there was one already, so I, I, I drove up and looked at it one night, and I thought, right, we can use that. And uh, so I rang, I got a number of the chairman, and I rang it like, and he was, he was actually interested because it's only up and looking to know how to get the best use out of it. You have fabulous facilities there, like, and, and it's a real resource if, if they use it right. So they came down one night and watched us doing it, like, and we had uh, 23 men on it, and it's, uh, it, it's very you can we we would have hit maybe 400 balls in an hour in, in RD compared to maybe. 150, 200 in Darver, you know, so that's that really helped us now towards the end of the league and, and it, it reflected in our performances, I thought. So you were kind of doing the quarantine training before there was any mention of the quarantine? Well, well, a wall is a wall, like, but this this one's designed for, for footballers and hurlers, like, you know, so yeah, and hopefully some of the guys do the stuff that we were doing at, at home, like, and it's... It's no secret, like you know, it's gave yeah. it all back in back in the seventies, eighties, and, and it's just hitting and catching and getting your timing right and repetition, repetition. So, yeah, so that was that was something that definitely was something we're going to build in, into our championship season as well. Like, I think it's a sorry, Dan, it's um, it's a really good point. Now, I haven't seen the one in RD yet, but I'd love to see it because I've been on to Aircraft and Castle Bellingham for a while to to try and get a skills wall up because you're talking about innovation in the game and. Well, it mightn't be new. It, you know, it, it's it's newish in terms of. I remember when I done some courses up on Garvahi and Tyrone and their centre of excellence. It was, um, it was an amazing uh, spectacle. See the murals on the wall and you know young haulers and camogie players and footballers out using it. Um, so I think it's something for all our clubs maybe to think about and. 
certainly, you know, as we're talking about skill development and development of players, I think it's a, it'd be a great idea if we could if we could really promote that within the county because I think there's a massive benefit from it. It, it kind of, it, it kind of, yeah, and it's it's, it's not. Sorry. I'll just say it's an all year it's an all year round resource. You know, it's it's all year yeah. round resource, and and there's like uh, they have concrete and RD. I know the Trone one has AstroTurf, which is the next level up, but yeah. it, it walls a wall. Like so, it's, it's it's a huge resource. And if you look around your club grounds, you'll see maybe a potential of of developing a wee area for that. You know, so it definitely yeah, as Wayne says, it's mm-hmm. it's just a way of looking back, but looking forward at the same time, back to basics. And it's kind of a thing that people would have got away from it because they see the likes of David Clifford on the television or Jeremy Connolly and the dubs five and all, all this elitism. The kids, uh, maybe if they're, if they're watching in there at the moment, that it is that simple. It's the mundane, banging the ball against the wall, working on the skills, and like Paul mentioned there, getting those touches in. And uh, I suppose yeah. you can see that now as an opportunity to embrace to embrace that as coaches and managers. Yeah, that, definitely. And, you know, the point I was trying to make earlier on is that if you're, I suppose, it, with football, I, you know, I would separate the different types of coaches in, in terms of if you were an adult into county team, you know, you're not approaching a training session to say, right, we're going to improve our kick passing tonight. Of course, you're going to do everything with the ball and incorporate loads of kick passing, without a doubt. But, the real, obviously, skill development that is going to be at the 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 level at clubs. And, you know, the onus is, is on them to develop, you know, the basic skills in the player. And then when they come to the elite level, of course, we're trying to develop it even further. But it's done at a pace and an intensity with all the other best players in the county to challenge. So, um, it, you know, as I said, we're all obsessed with conditioning and you know, you know, weights and, you know, running times and five, you know, it, let's not ever get away from the fact that skills is the most important thing. Do you find out, Paul, we've gotten away from this? Like, we have, we have gotten away from that. Yeah, slightly, like, and it's, it sometimes can be overbearing and, and it causes maybe uh, to play with the players' minds. I'm not fit. We lost the game because I'm not fit. But it's changed that mindset. It's not that because that might play a part. But if you drop a ball, it takes you two seconds to pick it up again. And then somebody else is on you straight away. If you miss time a pass over somebody's head, then that player has to do more running and then is more tired. And, and it's the same in football. You know, it, the two sports, there's a lot of very similar aspects to them in terms of uh, the skills of the game. And that's, that's how Dublin are so far ahead because their skills are so good. They are so good, and then they combine that with their fitness. They don't make too many mistakes. They don't drop too many passes. They don't overhead passes, kick passes, and that's all in one efficient machine. And that's what we thought uh, in our midway through our season. Right, we need to sharpen up our skills because we were fit. We the boys put in a hell of an effort in terms of our conditioning all winter, but it was our fine uh, tuned skills. Uh, first touch that was just letting us down uh, in those first two games and then from the RD sessions we hit more ball and definitely the level improved so uh, yes you know you could ask any of the players I think they'd find that that was a huge benefit to them yeah. so Wayne like like Paul there he's been, he's been very resourceful is that is that a key kind of characteristic to be a coach nowadays or a manager yeah, well, you, you sort of have to be resourceful, you have to be adaptable. Um, 
all the way down to your individual training sessions and then obviously when you come to games you know you have to make an, an awful lot of decisions on what you're going to change and how you're going to change it but um, I think you'll, you'll develop that adaptability and that resourcefulness the more times you put the cones out in the pitch and the more times you take sessions and it's something that you know over the years that you know down, down to the simple thing of when you're arranging cones you put down certain amount of cones to do certain and you reuse the same cones with moving two or three around for the same for the whole session and it's just little logistical things like that that you get better of and you, you adapt to and and obviously the other big one is you know probably at club level is the many numbers will you have you know you might have 27 one night and then you might have 17 so you have to be able to adapt all your scenarios and your activities to to be able to you know to be able to do to be able to do and adapt into the whatever faces you on the night so um i found that i i from experience that I, i've got better at that but um at the start it can be challenging there's no doubt all the different decisions you have to make like was it a case when you always wanted to be a coach manager or was it something like banging the ball against the wall it was going out and coaching the underage coaching the kids and then you be- finally became a manager and knew you were good at it is it that same sort of process well it, it was sort of the process that i sort of fell into is just it's like when you stop playing and the body gives up you know you just have to fulfill your time with something else and um, so i could never envision myself just going to a game on a sunday without the training sessions during the week and so um when i was uh, on my last legs and my body was on my last legs running laps of the pitch in the grove I'd be thinking to myself, I think there's probably a different way to train here and, you know, this is not the way I would do it. So I always had that sort of born and, um, well, desire to do the training that I would like to do. And, and and then all of a sudden games-based training exploded and it was everywhere, which was right up my street. Like, so um, it was filling the void and it was trying to produce sessions and enjoyable sessions that I would have liked to been you know performing when I was playing were you the same Paul was it a natural progression or did you did you always want to be a, a manager um yeah it would probably happened maybe a bit quicker than I imagined you know um I was still heavily involved in playing with my club and I still am playing and hopefully if the club comes back first I'll get a few games yet but go I'm a school teacher and I'm involved in teams in school and there's a, there's a great GA culture in our school, St. Pat's and our mom. We have throw men, we have, we had antra men, die men, and then obviously our mom men. So there's a lot of talk about coaching and managing teams. And like uh, Manny McLean is in our school. He was manager of Cabin Fuppers. We have Mark Hart, Mickey's son, Davy Hart, John Devine, Alan O'Neill, who has managed clubs in, in Laos. So we are pulling from each other in terms of ideas and coaching ideas and philosophies all the time. So, you know, listen to that over the years, it's easy to get sucked in. And then the big thing was I managed or coached a load of kids in our club and then actually played with them in 2018 in a county championship hurling and we won. And I just felt that, you know what, managing them as kids and coaching them as kids, the next step is to, to try and do it as, with adults, you know, so... And then an opportunity came up and I, and I spoke to Francie, Francie McMullen about it and then just uh, said I'd throw me a hat in the ring and see where, where it took me. So, you know, so it's it's happened sooner rather than later, but I'm really enjoying it. Like, and it's, it's a huge privilege for me to be involved in 
in County Lowes and the Gaelic game scene in County Lowes. And, you know, I'm trying to, as I said, leave it in a better place and trying to introduce things that I have learned over the years, both from hurling and football. And, and hopefully that'll pa- pass on to, to the next generation because we have we've young, good players in Lowes and uh, really good old players as well. Like, so that that's the plan is always to try and keep it keep it moving on and keep trying to keep progressing and improving so yeah it's it's been a it's huge privilege as i said really enjoyable it's stressful too something yeah was sometimes. it walking in the first year first job over at the county site um it, it sort of was but you know what it happened that fast i really didn't have much time to think about it and maybe that was a good thing i just took uh, a man gave me good advice he just says be yourself just do what you normally would do and, and go at it that way. Don't try and change too much too soon. So, um, as I said, got straight in it, jumped straight in and uh, talked to as many players as I could, give them a quick rundown what I'd like to to bring to the the, the, the panel and, and the, the scene, the, the culture of the group. And it just it just went from there, like, you know. So um, we went and seen all the championship matches last year, went to a few league matches, tried to get me, me feet in the ground because that's what players want to see. As a player, I want to see... When I was going up, right, the, the county slackers here, right, now's the night to, to perform. And, and I think that's that's only fair. I'm sure Wayne has been around the grounds too. And when he lands in, you know, sometimes it can get a wee bit more out of a player. And I'm sure that's what he's looking for too. Do you agree, Wayne? Yeah, definitely. Like, uh, you know, regardless of whether I was coaching loud or being involved with any of the underage teams or a club team, I, I would have been at, at the games anyway. Like, so it's all... Of, you feel, yeah, you're obliged to go to them now, but, you know, I love going to all the games and um, particularly the championship games in the summer, you know, when you always identify some players, you know, the fellas with the good attitude, the fellas that are good athletes, the fellas that are skillful, and you'll always see somebody, even though you think you know everybody, you'll always see somebody new that's pushing on the door, and, um, you know, we had a couple of new into the panel this year, albeit we knew them from underage, so, um, yeah, going around the games, and uh, watching the games, you know, I'd, I'd love to be going to a game now tonight or tomorrow night, but I don't oh. think that's going to happen. And what what advice would you have for young coaches out there, say, like taking on an inter-county game or trying to get to the inter-county level? First of all, you just do as much coaching as you possibly can and, and, and you know, create your own philosophy and your own identity in the way you want to coach. As, as we've been talking about, games-based coaching is massive now. And, you know, and people generally think it's all about the drills or activities or condition games you do. And they're all important. But, you know, if you, if you start at the end and think, well, what do I want to get out of my training session? Do I want to just focus on skills at a low pace or a linear level tonight if you're dealing with young kids? Or do you want to, you know, focus on building attacks on a 10v10 or... And just keep keep working on your philosophy of how you want to play and how you want to coach and get as many coaching hours in as possible. Because whilst what I found over the years is all the the coaching clinics that you go to, they're very, very good and you'd always get something. And the likes of the webinars and the coaching conferences, you'll always get something out of them. You can't substitute the actual hours on the pitch where you're trying to get the flow of the session right. You're trying to get your cone situated. You're moving from one activity to the next activity. No coaching course probably will teach you that. You'll just need to experience that for yourself. And it's something, it's the most, it's the biggest thing that I enjoy being a coach is actually getting down, getting to Dava, getting on, talking to Cal and Liam and Kieran and Kieran Sloan and saying, 
right, this is the way we're going to flow tonight. We'll organize it like this. We've this amount of time to do this activity. We're working on transitions. We're working on defending. We're working on building attacks. And, uh, you know, that's the bit that I enjoy way above anything else. You, you concur, Paul, is that is, is getting your hands I'm, I'm, on the field. Yeah, absolutely. Like, it's very hard to stand back and watch um, a session and without giving some input, input into it. Like, and, you know, it, it takes time and all the sessions you've done over the years from when you first got involved in coaching, and that could have been, you know, as, still as a player, obviously. But, yeah, really, really enjoy getting down and getting hands-on and getting stuck in and seeing, you know, getting close to players and seeing how they're benefiting from the exercise you're trying to do or the, the the process that's going on in the training pitch, be it an attacking move or defending or, you know, you know, shooting, seeing that the progress, seeing that it's actually connecting connecting with the player, that they're actually taking on board what the message you're trying to give them. And it's, you know, that social distancing and all that that's coming down the track, that's going to change things a wee bit. You know, how can you get in close to a tight group of people and explain them something within one minute and then ask them to go out and do that you know that's that's going to be a challenge but listen that's what it's all about bring it on like we'll have to adapt that's what i'm getting from the two of you here you is are embracing this challenge of say trying to train trying to train with social distancing in place or what have you coming up with ways to get around it it'll be right yeah, it's going to be it's going to be difficult. There's no doubt. But again, I I'll go back to what what we want to do. Are we are we going to, you know, do we want them to gain fitness tonight and we'll be able to run them in groups of four away from each other? Do we want to, you know, give them fitness with a shot at the end of it, or do we want to hand hand pass a, a fitness activity? Or we just have to come on. We always try to use the ball, and we just have to get creative and. And come up with with stuff, and um, if if this is the way it turns out to be, you know, maybe by the time we get to go ahead, you know, we might be able to collectively train as normal. But yeah, it'll be a challenge for myself and the likes of Paul and all the club coaches as well um, to come up. But that that's part of being a coach, you know. We have to, as as I keep saying, we have to adapt and we have to be flexible. So as Paul says, bring it on. It's 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 better to be fair. It'd be better to be out in the pitch doing that sort of stuff than. I mean, stuck inside. Have you have you any ideas, uh, Paul, on maybe staggering training, having small workloads or virtual slit or something? You know what? To be honest, I'm I'm haven't really thought that much about it because, in one respect, I don't think there's any point because how would wait on the end game if there is a date to say it's the first of October, then say right, that's something to go on. But no, my main. Uh, hope would be that we just get out onto the pitches and if it's safe to go in the pitches in groups of threes or fours, I would think that it's safe to go in, in terms of the, the whole athletic, like, you know, it's um I don't think I don't think there'll be any small groups. It'll be it'll be safe to come back to the train lads, you know, because if he's if, if the rules say four, somebody's going to bring down six and the next door pars is going to bring down eight and all of a sudden then it's uncontrollable, you know. So we we cross that bridge when we come to it in terms of getting getting ready for training again. And if there is rules or uh, restrictions, then we'll just have to work around them. Is that the reward when uh, getting a, getting a group of lads together to achieve nearly a, a kind of aim you had set, rather than lifting the obvious trophies and all that? Is it getting something to carry out a plan, maybe like, like the eighteen? Yeah, um, but sometimes the plans don't work, unfortunately, as we found out. But 
Yeah, you do get a lot of satisfaction if you see stuff working. Um, you know, you, there's an awful lot of heartache and head scratching when things don't work, but that's the challenge. Um, you try to be proactive and you have all the ingredients in your game before you start something like a National League, but inevitably then you'll come, right, okay, we didn't do this well, we didn't do that well, and then your sessions are sort of reactive in terms of, right, we have to defend better in our unit or we have to transition better from you know, back from attack, back to defence. And, you know, I, I sometimes then you're chasing all the time, you're chasing stuff um, that, you know, you have to try and get stuff right or you won't get results or performances. And it's a tricky balance and it's something that was difficult this year uh, in terms of... A little pal there. <laughs> um, it was difficult this year in terms of, you know, trying to bring everything together and, you know... In the cold, lighted, hard day, like we didn't bring enough things together. But overall, your question is, you you do get a great satisfaction of of working and stuff. And if you do see it happening on match day, then that's great. And, and Paul, as uh, I know, uh, mentioned Fergus Connolly. Who who would be your inspirations? Would would it be managers you've worked with in the past, or is it the likes of lads at the school, your work colleagues? Well, sure, that you know even. Uh, as an early player, I would always be looking at what the manager doing and trying to take that on board and think of it differently. Like coming from a, a strong GA house, it was always talked about in our house. And then even my wife's uh, people are all just mad in the GA and analysing games and looking at things. And um, but uh, there's a few key men like uh, Paddy Butler would have been a huge influence on them. Uh, you know, he he came up to Katie a number of times and coached us and. A fantastic coach. He was the GA's national hurling manager for uh, for a number of years. I had him up with the boys last year. Like and just a different outlook on things, you know, and just getting the basics right. And again, all about enjoying enjoying it. Like it's not a chore. This is meant to be somewhere that you come for for a bit of a release, a bit of fun. But if you're a competitive person, then definitely that's one of the boxes that I'm looking to see. You know, so that's a lot of players are competitive they want to win and they want to be the best they can and that's you know that's that's something that I, I look forward uh, to seeing those boys every night Jack. you know I look forward to working with those players um, just with speaking of say inspiration and all that yeah, last Sunday evening the, the Armagh Tyrone game was on and, and the 2002 final has been on as well you were part of that great times in Armagh that, that, that must be a nice part of like the nostalgia of looking back and games like that Make you feel good. Yeah, absolutely. It was it brought back great memories, and I was very lucky. Like you know, anybody who was in those teams were just lucky to be part of that generation because over a hundred years, Armagh was trying to win the Sam McGuire. Like now they've got three, and those people in those teams just having to come along at the one time. And there's a lot of factors involved in, in being a successful team on a small line between winning and losing. Like it's so so. You know, it's so hard to really describe that. And like the width of a post from Ray Crossgrove in the semi final on Sunday, like that's really who's to say what would have happened the next day if that match had been a draw. And then um, in 2005, like, you know, I was lucky to be on the panel and I played a lot of games, but just it was a tough team to get into and I was in and out. And listen, it, it is what it is. And, and, but the 2005 saga with Tyrone, we actually probably played our best football in the semi final and then lost the match. And then Throne obviously went on to beat Jerry. But no, it was great times. And you get asked, uh, the, the kids were asking me questions. And then there's a WhatsApp group still with, with the boys there. And there's a few old digs thrown about the size of the jerseys and the size of people in them. But 
yeah, it was uh, it was great times to look back on. Like, yeah, really, really honoured and special to be to be involved in that. Like, and yeah, it's, hopefully we'll 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 see it again. But it's getting harder. Marwin, have you uh, you fed up with the nostalgia now, or do you enjoy looking back? Um, I, I I did watch a good few games, the games that you're mentioning there, and it was good to read about them. And um, you know, even I get inspiration. Like at the end of the day, um, ah, what a yeah. You know what a panel of players they had in 2002, and but like I'd be getting more inspiration to think, well, if they and the likes of Monaghan can have success, why can't we have success as well? You know what I mean? Like, because arguably our populations are greater, and even though we're a smaller county, but um, yeah, at this moment in time now, I'd rather be getting, as you keep saying, rather be getting out to the pitch in Darwin. I never thought I'd miss Darwin as much out onto the pitch and get going and as Paul says the weather's been fantastic so you can imagine training and playing in uh you know in that sort of weather would have been amazing but look we just have to sit tight and hope for the best. Would you like to be the manager back then in those games looking back? Would you like to be the manager back then? I can only imagine that the the pressure and decision there, yeah, would have been would have been amazing. Like um those big games are nice when they're going well and but when you're standing in Port Leash and the dubs are hammering you by over 20 points, it can be difficult, you know. So, uh, yeah, it'd be, it'd be great to taste that sort of uh, that that day out and that sort of level of competition without it. And who knows what might happen in the future? You never know. Well, is there anything to learn from those old games, bar the baggy jerseys? Well, I I was looking at a few of the Louth matches. There was a great clip last week, Louth against Tyrone, I think, in 2000. 2006, like what a match! I can remember that game and listening to it on the radio, and then I seen the highlights. Like, you know, the style that Louth played that day. You know, the there was no fear. I asked what I found about that that performance. There was hard running, good tackling, plenty of scoring. You know, so there's a tradition there. There's no doubt about it. Like, and it's just awakening that, and it just can take it can take time, and then it can happen so fast. And that's what happened with Armagh. You know, Armagh never won a championship match for a long time in the 90s and then in 1998 they managed to beat down and then 99 they won it yeah. and, and all of a sudden you know it just inspired a lot of a lot of players because a lot of the guys in 2002 to 2006 would have been going to those matches as children and, and kids you know and that definitely contributed to the success and just establishing that and as Wayne says Monon I've got that now I'm actually living in Monaghan here now and I can see what that's doing. And all of it takes is just one or two breaks, you know, getting out of the, the maybe the lower divisions and then a cup a win in the championship against a team that you're not fancy to beat. And all of a sudden it can just it can just strike a match and it can just go from there. Like so I would always say there's always hope and if you have a plan and you have good people around you and there is good people in now doing a lot of work and I see it in the fields there. So I just think it's a matter of just keep keeping at it and Tweaking a few things here and there and trying to get more kids involved and it'll come like yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that loud throwing game. I, I even did a podcast on it. I did was only podcast on a on a draw that it's <laughs> that's, that's out there. But talk about that and that no fear. It, it kind of stems from the crowd. Do you, like how would you feel about playing hurling a football with no crowd? Well, right. I can answer that quickly because there'd not be too many at our matches, but nonetheless. The people that go to our matches are the people who care about the players, their wives, their girlfriends, their mummies, their daddies, their neighbours. So our fellas are well used to that. And in some ways, I had always asked the fellas to draw inspiration from that. 
that those are the people that really care about you. If you are going to watch a hurling match in Lowe's and the people are that are there to see you, they're the people who care about you. So, you know, if it happens behind closed doors, it happens. But I know our fellas will will just, you know, will, will focus on their job and, and try and do their best as always. So it's not going to be an issue for us, I wouldn't think, unless we get to a final somewhere in Crow Park. Well, I, well, I know some of the mammies and daddies, they'd be, they'd be very uh, hard-nosed stewards to stop from getting into gates, I tell you that much. <laughs> well, what do you reckon? Would, would you miss that sense of uh, partisan crowd behind you in Drogheda or even getting to Crow Park, an eerie Crow Park? Yeah, it, it would be a surreal situation, wouldn't it? Like, it'd be interesting to see what the soccer games come across like on the tally when, when they play with no fans, like the Bundesliga is back this weekend. But, you know, is it a, if it's a question of it's the only option left on the table, I would still go for it. Um, you know, obviously um, there'll be many of other options discussed between now and we do get to go ahead. But if all else fails and they have to play games um, behind closed doors, it'd be similar to probably Paul. It wouldn't affect us that much because um, their crowds wouldn't be massive anyway you're probably it'd be the bigger teams in the in the country your Mayos your Dublins Tyrone's Carries that really probably would feel it a lot more than the likes of us but it's not an ideal of course it's not even if your crowds are small you still want some sort of an atmosphere there but if it's the only option that's presented to us to play or not to play um, I, I would still go for behind closed doors and probably one positive you would have the player t- couldn't turn around and say, I, I, I didn't hear you, I can't hear you, lad. <laughs> yeah, or I didn't hear somebody abusing them on the sideline. But, <laughs> yeah. uh, I don't know, that, that doesn't happen too often now, in fairness. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's that would be the positive. It, it would be strange, it would be strange. But then you're really, you're really digging deep into the mentality of the players, like intrinsically, they're trying to motivate themselves because they can't do it for their for our mum and dad on the sideline or our best friend on the bank or, you know, really are doing it for themselves in the county. So it'll be a strange one, but we just have to wait and see. Yeah, I suppose before before we finish up, I suppose, um, and we get the questions then, I think Shane is coming out with questions. What, what's, the, what's the first thing you, you, you can't wait to do when you get back, when everything is lifted, and I suppose the new normal? Wayne, I go, you go first. Just just to be able to send out a text message and saying, lads, we're training Friday night at half seven, see us on the pitch at quarter seven, talk to Carl, talk to Liam and Kieran, and, you know, get the bones of the session out and get out into that huddle um, and say, look, this is what we're doing tonight, let's go at it. It'll, it'll be, just be great. And um, it'll be just, you know, as I keep saying, it's what you enjoy doing. So um, then, of course, you're leading up to a game. And then the buzz and excitement of a game, a championship game, hopefully, you know, it'll, it'll be great. But I think we just have to sit tight for the meantime. Yeah, just similar, like just meeting the fellas and, and seeing how they've got on, you know, because they're not just players. They've all these other things going on in their lives. Some of the lads are doing exams, some had babies, maybe engagements, you know. So just getting the, the, the news and what's happening with them because... We're a small bunch of players there with the, the Horden squad, like, but we have a good connection and we're always looking out for each other. And there's a, I'd like to think there'll be like a club type spirit amongst the players, you know, while they're there with Lowe's and then they'll obviously go back to their club championship. But, you know, just getting getting back up and seeing people and, and just getting out and playing the game again and again, something to look forward to a match coming up because that's what we all love to do is just get out and play, like, and, and let's get at it. 
And we we all look forward to it too. And I can feel it from his legs. It's a pure. You see why you're at the top of your game with that kind of man management ethos. It's like bouncing off the screen and gets that well. Thanks very much for your time, Shane. And um, will we go with the questions for the lads to finish? Still there. Yeah, I think we have a shy group here. Um, not too many questions just there. I think we've probably just caught them. We went in the hop, lads. If anyone has any questions, just type them into the chat box there. Um, just a quick one, just like just myself. Um, wait, there's a question there from Vincent. Um, just before I go into Vincent's question, lads, do you think that the standard of the game has changed much? Like say from Paul, your teams, like looking back on games like that, then looking back at, I think it was the carry off game back in the early 80s that I was looking at, do you think there's much difference in the standard of the game now? I Well, if I take that one, I think that, yes, the, the skills and the standards have is really, really improved. You know, even looking back to last weekend's games on TV, the magic ball kicked away. You know, the amount of mistimed tackles, the uh, the kickouts, you know, the game has transformed itself in the space of 15 years there. Um, the analysis of the games has played a huge part in that, I would feel. Sometimes fellas are afraid to do the thing that comes most natural to them, and that can stifle the game, you know, safety first option. Whereas a lot of the time, going, going back, it was a long ball into the forwards, and the forwards have to win it. And you've seen some of the quality ball winners throughout the generations there are forwards. They could win their own ball one-on-one. And I know with the pack defences in football, that doesn't happen. And indeed in hurling now, it has now become a hugely tactical game of working the ball through the lines and short pass and triangles and, you know, all that. So the skills definitely has improved, but the analysis and the, the awareness of the, of the game now and the time spent in that, is is absolutely just went through the roof. Um, so that's that's the big thing. The time it takes to do that as well. You know, back in the day, it was a Tuesday and a Friday or Tuesday and a Thursday and a weekend session, and that was it. You know, it was it was hugely enjoyable back then. There's a lot of stress and time pressures now. Um, yeah, just uh, with this one's directed at Wayne, just from Vincent. Um, Wayne, after taking two minor teams this last couple of years, then moving into loud seniors. Um, a couple of years after that, is there anything that you would request from from future development squad uh, development squads that could be help them achieve in their development squads that would make your job a lot easier at the top? If you could prioritise top the top three, also Paul, what would your thought be on this in Harlan? Sorry, the punches in the spot, Vincent said. When? Um, yeah, I suppose the the, the big thing that. I found when I went into, and you will know as well, Shane, when I went into the minor teams, it's just, it's the mentality and both the athleticism to get around the pitch. Um, I think when sometimes our club game, underage game can be, can be sometimes it, it can be really fast and intense, but sometimes it can be slow and ponderous. But there's absolutely no doubt when you go to minor, under 18 it was for me, under 17 it is now, that the athleticism and the transitions up and down the pitch are absolutely vital. And remember, transitions is a fancy word for getting your backside from one end of the pitch to the other and vice versa. And it's a, it's a coach in word that I really love. So I think there has to be a lot of coaching and conditioning of the will of the player to make themselves get round the football pitch. 
Um, being the best footballer in the world is great, and of course we encourage that at development level. But that will and desire and attitude and the fitness to transition up and down the pitch, it can't only be taught when it comes to 17 under 20 senior level, obviously. It has to be from an under 14 level. If you have an under 14 halfback, he should be encouraged to score in every single game. If you have an under 14 cornerback, he should be encouraged to get forward and try and get scores. So, And then you're going on to maybe the second point is that, you know, do we do enough coaching and quality coaching and technical coaching on actually scoring on your dominant side and your left dominant side? And um, we don't have enough Shane Lennon's or JP Rooney's or Declan Bourne's, let's say, for present example, fellas that can kick points with their dominant and their non-dominant side. So now I would imagine there's an awful lot of that going on at development squad level, but you know, it, it's something that can, can never be overworked. Um, so whatever about the three, I'm sure there's a, there's a few more I could think of for the third one, but I definitely think that transitioning up and down the pitch has to be taught at a mental and a physical level and scoring footballers, people that can kick the ball over the bar on both sides, it's absolutely vital. Very good. Uh, Paul, just uh, what's your thoughts on this and Hurland with development squads as well? Yeah, um, looking at the young fellas and what they need to be doing, you know, having both sides, as Wayne says, in football, hurling is so, so important to have both sides, left-hand side and right-hand side. And I would sort of deviate a wee bit. I would try and concentrate on the key skills of the game and being comfortable in possession, being comfortable to receive the ball anywhere in the pitch. And that carries for both games, you know, because if you're comfortable on the ball, you'll generally make a good decision the next thing. And then that play pass on to the next person and then the next person. That's that's the big thing that I would be stressed on. I would be stressed in, in our teams in, in some parts that wherever you receive the ball in the pitch, that you can make a good choice with, that you're just not getting rid of it for just because you've nothing else to do or you can't do anything else. And that comes with uh, playing the games, small side of games, and then up in the big side of games. So, uh, so being comfortable in possession, left and right, and then just being good at the basics. Be brilliant at the basics. That's what we said to our lads, so that you know when you have the ball, you can do something good with it. I agree with Ryan as well. You have to be able to get around the pitch, but that can be worked on as well. Yeah, just another one. I'm going to throw this one at you again, Paul. Any advice for dual players, for managing dual players? Yeah, well, I've been in a few situations where um, there is difficulties. Absolutely, you need to have two. You need a, the manager needs to be sensible. He needs to think of the player and try and prioritise. If there's a clash, there's a clash. If there's a busy week coming up, uh, what would have happened in the past, especially at club level with the own club? And Francis McMahon will, will testify this. You know, we would ease off. If it's hurling one week, it's, it's hurling that week, and then it's football next week. The template to follow is Slock, Neil, and Derry, obviously. And they have worked it so well. Two sensible managers, a lot of overlap. One week it's hurling practice, and then the next week it's football practice. Now, the numbers will obviously be down some weeks. Whenever the, the other code's on, those fellas can still go to the pitch. Um, I would advise players to play as much as possible, as long as they can. However, the days of dual players at county level, I think, are over, unfortunately. Club level can still work. And you'll find that the best trainers are usually the dual players because they're so used to being out and just doing things and getting on with it. Uh, they, they obviously, they're playing two sports because they love to play them. And for a manager to say you can't 
play hurling or you can't play football. That is the wrong message I would I would advise because the, you're telling the player what to do. The player has got the choice at the end of the day. And if the player is sensible and prioritises things and if you have a sensible manager, there's no reason why I can't continue at club level. Very good. Um, I'm going to put this one to Wayne just because I know Sean's one of the football development squads. Any advice for up-and-coming development squad coaches learning their trade? Um, yeah, Sean, just sort of briefly mentioned it earlier on. Um, I got an awful lot of value over the years of going to the the coaching clinics in different counties and the conferences and, you know, different clinics in Dublin, Tyrone, um, you know, up the poachers, up the north. Um, I've been to st- st- uh, some up in Donegal as well over the years, um, as well as obviously your 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 coaching qualifications, your award one, your award two. I certainly got an awful lot out of them as well. So um, you'll always pick up something. Um, I was... You know, I was at one there a couple of years ago with Aidan O'Rourke on kickouts um, up the north. And, you know, it was very, very simple, very basic. But I came away home in the car and says, yeah, I'm going to use that and I'm going to, you know, tailor it for our own keepers and our own players. So I can't stress enough, you know, it, it, it might is it, just to get other ideas from other people and then form them around your own philosophy. And, you know, then they're your own then. Then, then they're part of your makeup as a coach. But definitely the... Um, and you know the likes of this here tonight now, are, and all the other ones that Shane's running here in the county, and all the ones like I was on a webinar last week from Carlo, and I found it good about resilience. The one that we have next week in Loud, so it's just keep upskilling as best you can. Yeah, just I would also I can I I'd order, sorry actually and I'd order, right, go and see go and see a session from a county manager or another manager. That somebody you, you think you can learn off. If you ring and ask that player, that person, I am sure that he will not say no. There's nobody out there has invented uh, it all. Everybody's a magpie. Everybody's getting ideas from each other. The other tip I would give is if you're going to a county match or a club championship match, go in early and see what teams do an hour before the match or half an hour before the match. Then we things will be invaluable to you if you're taking teams in terms of your pre game setup, things like that. So that's another thing I find useful. Yeah, just uh, this actually just go back probably what uh, Wayne answered there. Is it actually Craig Lynch here, your goalkeeper? Do you think there is a scope to continue online learning with players and coaches and like similar webinars to this when when things go back to normal? Well, there definitely is. They seem to be pretty popular. Like uh, I, I, I certainly enjoy them anyway. I know that's because you're you're in the house and you've nothing else to be doing. But I think there's scope to have them parallel with you know, the pitch sessions that you guys sort of run. Um, I would prefer, to be honest, to be out in the pitch and talking with these and show Paul to be the same. And then you can talk through activities and advice and, you know, how you structure sessions and stuff. But there's definitely, there's definitely scope for, for, them, for the webinars to go along with that in parallel, without a doubt. Yeah, maybe even the, the video analysis, maybe just half-hour sessions instead of keeping them on, maybe after trend or whatever. Absolutely, absolutely yeah. yeah. And just the last one, probably I'm going to ask Bodie this because uh, Paul might have good experience from Alma. Any ideas what could be done to improve the take-up of uh, GA in the bigger towns in the county? So obviously um, there's a couple of big towns in Alma, like, and what, how could Loud improve, say, the GA in the, the, the Bourbon areas? Yeah, that's that's a tough one. Like, uh, there is a, there's a few big towns in Alma. I know... Um, 
from my own from my own knowledge, I think in Lurgan there was about five or six clubs that would be Clan Gale and St Peter's and St Paul's, Clan Earn, you know, and there was a huge um, worry I'd say a while back in terms of their club football. But they've got it turned around and they had two uh, key development officers, as far as I know, went into that area and worked from the ground up. And it's it's like a permit. You need to have the numbers from sevens, eights, nines, tens. And and they just built on that and they kept going. And it's trying to get the, the bigger picture, so to speak, that it's not just our wee area. I, I know briefly there's a, there's a few clubs in Dundalk, but it's not just about our wee area. It's about the bigger picture. It's about Lousy, uh, and you know it, there's no easy answers I would say but trying to get the kids to play games that's it you know it's they just want to play football or hurling or whatever it is like if, if you turn off to a five-a-side soccer place and you, you don't you don't get playing you're not going to go back you want to play like you know so uh, uh, street leagues six-a-side games primary school leagues you know the teachers in the schools I'm sure would be would be delighted to see more coaches going into the schools and organising games for the kids so that's a few things in experience and maybe maybe ask around Shane you know see see what's going on but it's yeah. no easy fix it's, it's, it takes time I would say it takes time and, and the one thing that we're not good at is patience and ho- hopefully that we can learn a wee bit of patience from the current situation but you'll not see the fruits of it until maybe 10 years hopefully I know there's a big initiative in Belfast at the minute Gale Fast and it'll be interesting to see how that that pans out but I know they're concentrating very much on the six, seven, eight year olds now but yeah. good luck when, yeah Wayne, just I'm actually going to skip on to the next one because it's something you mentioned already. Um, most squads have strong characters. If you take the Bulls' last documentary as, as an example, like Rodman and uh, Michael Jordan, how much time do you spend managing those characters and maybe balancing individual players' needs within the team? Um, yeah, that, that's a good one. Um, I'm, I'm always banging on about the mentality of, of different individuals and different players and you know, there's there's a, there's a couple of different characters characters of players, and I, you probably myself and Paul, I guarantee, have, have encountered a, a, an awful each one of them. Um, you have the guys, and no matter what you say or what you do, will just if you point that direction, they will run a hundred mile an hour, and no questions asked. And then you have guys that you know are generally good lads, but they need a little bit of a, a nudge and a push, and you need a bit of cajoling. And they will do what you say. And then there's the guys that, and, and often, uh, certainly at club level, these guys are the guys that are the best footballers, the guys that just do not want to conform to the team standard or do not want to do what they're told and are uncoachable. And, um, you know, it, it's very difficult. You always give them, those guys in the latter category, the chance, you know, when you give one-to-ones with them and you, you try the armour and the shoulder point of view and you try giving them a kick up the arse point of view and, you know, it's 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 really down to them to try and conform and meet you halfway in what you're trying to achieve, and and it's difficult. But every single club team has those type of characters, and I would say you probably have to balance over the three of them. Just because the guy is is a great lad and a great attitude doesn't mean you can't give him his feedback or the guy in the middle or the the so-called troublemaker. You just have to balance. Um, and give them, certainly give them as many chances as possible. And if they won't conform, well, then it's a question of either detrimental to the team and you have to leave them out. Um, it's a real interesting one. I keep talking about the coaching clinics I went to over the years. I remember asking Malik Uruk, um, the manager, how do you improve the mentality of a player? 
and he is as brilliant a manager as he is and as much respect for him as I have. He found it very hard, you know, to answer the question. He says it's it's difficult. All you can do is be there for them and, and do as many one-to-one talks with them as you possibly can. But if they don't want to improve themselves, it's very, very difficult. So, um, yeah, it's it's a very interesting uh, question, no doubt. Yeah. Okay, just the last question there. I'm probably want both of you maybe to give a wee bit of feedback. How important do you think secondary schools football is in the development of players? For example, up the North Pole with you the Murray Cup and Wayne, I think I'm, you have a Lennon Cup medal in your back pocket from your days in the Colossus Reach. Agreed. How important? Just But just uh, like to get our schools playing at a higher level, to play Leinster A colleges. I know we have combination teams in there, but I don't have. The, the number of players playing at the top level in their own individual schools. How important do you think it is to improve our, our post-primary school football? Well, well just from a, from a northern point of view, the Macquarie Cup is the be-all and end-all for schools in, in football in, in Ulster. It's a bit like the Lancaster Schools Rugby. You know, what, As soon as you come into the school, the culture is Gaelic football in our school. I mean, like we, we play Horn as well and we're strong in athletics as well, but Gaelic football is the be-all and end-all. And that's the same as in Coleman's and the Abbey and Dungan and Mahara. And that culture permeates down through the school. And those players, that, that status they have. And that takes time, obviously, to do that. But the teachers in the school and the, the, the ethos of the school, the principal of the school, you know, just having that connection with the players and the local community, that's, that's, that's why people go to school with us. That's why people go to schools at home is they want to be part of that. Now, how does that transfer over to County Louth? I'm not sure of the numbers. It's maybe a numbers game as well. Um, it's investment from the coaches in terms of the teachers, and that's not easy to do at this stage um, in terms of the teachers' time. Maybe support from the county board, but definitely the secondary schools is absolutely critical, I would feel, to success in a county football or hurling. You look at St. Kieran's, Kenny, and their in their hurling, you look at the uh, Flannans and Annis for Clare, Nina, uh, CBS, or, I'm sorry, Thorda CBS in, in Tipperary, all really strong schools that benefit the obviously the county minor team and then obviously on up through the age group. So, yeah, so teachers, coaches from the county board, and then obviously the club is all working on board because sometimes then there's friction between the clubs and the, the school because the players are club players too and they have to train with their clubs at certain times but we would always try and establish say to the fellas that the school comes first at the certain times of the year and we will make them better players to go back to their clubs because it's like a mini county team you're getting three or four from each club in the feeder schools and you're looking to get the best out of each of those players and we always say to the fellas look at the other t- fellas in different clubs learn from them learn from each other so I would definitely think it's a huge thing that you would maybe need to focus on, Shane, going forward. Yeah, very good. Just when? Yeah, look, it's exactly the same. It's very, very important. There's no doubt about it. And like Paul hit the nail on the head there when he's talking about this, the stakeholders involved here are the schools, teachers, and the players, the clubs, and the county board. So the onus is on all of those stakeholders to come together to realise how important schools football is. Um, you know, the under-17 players should not be hitting Leinster Championship without having previous experience. I know the ages are slightly different now, but without having previous experience of playing the best school teams in the province. 
and it shouldn't be a big championship, minor championship night, shouldn't be alien to them. They should, it should be almost second nature because of the amount of experience they have at top level football already. So how we get all those stakeholders to, to come together and, and improve the school scenario, um, it's a difficult challenge. And I know you guys are doing an awful lot of work on it. But on the final point, um, the, the end goal for us in Loud should be, you know, like we have Armagh, as Paul's, Paul's talking about, we have Cahill Murray telling me that his McCrory Cup team had 90 plus sessions in a McCrory Cup campaign. And all, albeit that was all the way to the final that was never played this year. We have to generate that sort of interest and level and culture towards our school's football and while that's easy to roll off the tongue, it's very, very hard to do. But that's what we need to do because it's it's so important. Is the answer to the question? I, I think they need to be the, the the bigger picture. As I come back to the bigger picture, needs to be looked at because it's like a platform to try and move up to the next level. Schools football, and then on to your county under 17s or 20s, and then ultimately allow your senior team. Like and St Pat's and Navin is another school that that this just came in my head there. So that's important because. You'll have your school coach, you'll have your club coach, you might have your development squad coach, all looking the same thing from that one player. So it's very important that those three are in communication and that the welfare of the, the, the child is looked after because they're only kids still. And then they have the leaving cert to go into that as well. So it's a difficult balance to find. But, you know, we are lucky and we have that a tradition sort of established and you're looking to try and get that, Shane, I would feel. And if you can square that circle, then you're definitely making progress, you know. And, and just on a side point, I know you have combined in football, but surely, I'm not sure if it happens, but maybe a combined Hurling currently allowed schools team would really help the game. I know we looked at that in Armagh, uh, coming together, all the secondary schools, because we are only competing at C level and B level in the Ulster Colleges. So the county board came together and we uh, took players from different schools and joining the guy for an RMR college's hurling team. So maybe that's something that Louth maybe could look at, because I'm sure you have three or four or five players in a number of schools all over the county. It just mightn't be Dundas schools, it could be just county Louth schools. And, you know, you might be a small area geographically, but you've got a huge population stretching from Drogheda or to Carlingford. So maybe that's something that could could be looked at, and that would definitely help then the Louth senior team going forward too. Well, this, this, I know you have tradition in the school, the parents the parents are huge Don I would say because if the parents are interested in Gaelic games that's what they'll talk about at the, at the breakfast table have you three and after school today if the parents are, are interested, they will pick the kids off from, from the training. They'll maybe chat to the, the teacher, how's he getting on, what's just, what's going on. Then weekend sessions as well, because as Wayne said, St. Coleman's had 90 sessions on. Like we were beaten by St. Coleman's in the semi-final, and we could have had 80 sessions done. And that, and that was every Sunday morning, Don, as well as during the week. So that means that fellas are sacrificing a lot, a lot of that stage, but it's the prestige to be involved in that team. And then you have the likes of part-time jobs, which are really affecting lads at 16, 17, and 18, because boys want money. They want money to do other things. They want money to tap up their phone, to go out and do all that, that boys do. And if you haven't got uh, support at home, a lot of the times the part-time job can win. And then it's going back to that house and saying, listen, there's anything we can do here. And 
a lot of times there's not the fella wants wants money instead of going to football now we're we're lucky in our case that that would be a very small minority a lot of our fellas would would just would put that to one side and concentrate on football for the year but i know in another areas that that's not the case so there's a whole myriad of of issues that kids nowadays are dealing with and and that's just a sad nowadays you know it's it's really difficult one to get that established yeah so that uh, thanks very much lads um just definitely, Paul, we, I know it was looked at last year and um, the combination hurling team. It might be something we revisit again, um, just as an on-runner this year. Um, I think the, the players just weren't available, but we definitely will yeah. be looking at it again going forward and um, try to get as many playing hurling at that school, a higher school level as well. Um, like, lads, just before we wrap up, I'd like to thank the three years for an excellent um, interview and webinar. Um, I think the people that logged on will get loads out of it. Um, and if, I'm sure if you, if you hang on just for another couple of minutes, if there's any more questions that lads might want to ask is before you go. If not, thanks very much, lads. And I'm sure best of luck for the rest of this year or whatever we have, whether it be club football, county football. I think someone was talking to Joe Karen yesterday and said he'd drive the cork for an under-12 game if he had to this minute in time. So um, thanks very much, um, lads. And I'll be seeing you over the next couple of weeks. No bother, Shane. Shane, pleasure. Thanks, Shane. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, lads. See you, Paul. See you in Darwin, hopefully. <laughs> See you, Ryan. Come on. Take yeah, it handy. Good luck. Good luck. Good luck. There you go. I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, some really good answers. Uh, good crack. Uh, we jammed a lot in there in the time uh, that was asked. But it all ran fairly smoothly and it flowed quite nicely. Um, good feedback off it so hopefully you'll have, you'll have learned something and and just maybe just as nice it's nice easy listening during these crazy times that we're still going through um, that's it I suppose yeah thanks very much for listening mind yourself and if you can mind someone else um, follow me on all social media channels um, any suggestions pop them in or contact me at dan at loud and proud or info at loud and proud dot com and uh, that's it that's all subscribe check out SoundCloud and subscribe on iTunes and SoundCloud there as well and talk to you bye and chat to you next Sunday night